0: One of my professors, when I was in my graduate program, talked about when you're writing a story, that at the end of it, there's the inevitable surprise, meaning that you don't see the ending coming necessarily, but when you look back, you see how you got there.
1: Welcome to Redefine i I'm Dan Baum. Join us as we continue to explore what happens when we're challenged to change our thoughts, beliefs, or even who we think we are. Episode 40. Wow, four full seasons Redefine You, going back to fall 2019. Of course, this spring and most of 2020 was marked by COVID. We changed our format and focus as we wrestled with all that was happening in the world. And now, hopefully, we're starting to come out of the pandemic. We're certainly seeing signs of hope. It's a little like watching the cicadas come out of the ground into the sunshine. I I can't help but feel a little like that, emerging from the darkness. As we reflect on this season, I'm excited to be joined by our writer, Amy Willard. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Dan. Well, I'm excited and sad at the same time because you're leaving AACC. I know. Well, before we get into that and how you're redefining yourself, because we will, I want to get your thoughts on this season. Our focus of course has been on the future of education, especially higher ed. What are your impressions when you think back on the season?
0: Well, I think I think a couple of things. First, I think that um every season we've done has surprised me as far as I feel like there's something in every episode even when um even when going into it, I think that there won't be, there's always something that resonates. And 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 that's been a surprise, I think, all 40 times. <laughs> I think for the future of education, I heard this a lot, and I'm hoping it will be true that um, things will be more flexible going forward because I think that that was one thing that we learned is possible. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps a lot of people. You know, there's this really rigid picture of what education should look like, you know, classroom and chairs and the teacher standing in front. Right. But I don't, that setup's not always the best for people and, um, or even some subjects. So I think, you know, going forward, if we could be more flexible, I think that would be helpful for everyone.
1: Yeah. It's funny you said surprise. I actually wrote down surprise, but in a little bit of different context that, other people's surprises like Jamira's surprise going from four year to two year and how she was delighted by that and, and the musical solutions and shifting everything to online courses, people launching businesses and, and the bravery that comes with that. And the incredible creativity and innovation that's occurring in education, all those things really jumped out. I definitely heard a lot about connection, um, and that's just something we've just been hearing all through COVID is how do we, how do we maintain some sense of connection?
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that that for me is true for almost all of our seasons and that it's really come through loud and clear that none of us does anything alone. You know, there's, there's, um, always helpers and we need those relationships. We need to nurture those relationships and build them, um, and but that's just important to us as human beings.
1: No, it's a great point. I feel blessed to, to have you and the rest of the team. No way I could do any of this alone. I've even tried. During COVID, we focused less on story and more on the subject matter experts and their insights. As a writer, what, what was that like for you?
0: Well, I think it does make it a little bit harder. Um, I just, and I don't know if that's so much as, from the writer standpoint or just from my own and that I really respond to stories and to, um, narrative. And so it takes a little bit more work to get into it, to be able to write about something that isn't a narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. So that part I think was a little trickier.
1: What's it been like working on the podcast? What's resonated most?
0: Oh gosh. Um, I think for me, um, because a lot of what I do in my regular job is sort of my husband refers to it as writing adjacent. (laughs) And, and I think that's true. You know, I do some writing, but it's, it's a lot of editing and a lot of, um, sort of administrative functions that I think that this though is true writing. And I, um, it was just a big reminder of how much I love that and how much it, um, I need that, that it, that it just sort of feeds my soul.
1: Well, episode 40 is kind of a nice round number. What does that mean to you?
0: So I was thinking about that. And I think, so personally in my forties, my forties have been great. You know, they were, life has always has its ups and downs, but it was in my forties that I could finally say, okay, this is who I am. And now where do I want to go? You know, who do I want to be? And I think I think for the podcast, maybe that's similar. You know, we, our team has this process down now, you know, we kind of know what we're doing. So now where do we want to go?
1: Well, that's a great transition. I'm going to now ask you about your future. So (laughs) how are you redefining yourself at this
0: time? So, um, gosh, after, I think it really was months of talking about this, that, and deliberating and just talking through things with my husband that I've decided to leave AACC and pursue a couple of passion projects. So um, I'll be writing. Um, I've always said that I wanted to write a book and I'm not getting any younger. So I'm going to attempt that gardening. I'm thinking about, or just looking, I'm looking into the master gardeners program nice. and then Also helping my son's transition to their adult life, really. Um, My older son has some special needs, and we're trying to figure out what it is he wants to do and then what he needs to get there. So I'm hoping to be able to be more there for him. Getting to this place, uh, one of my professors, when I was in my graduate program, uh, talked about when you're writing a story that at the end of it, um, there's the inevitable surprise. Um, meaning that you don't see the ending coming necessarily, but when you look back, you see how you got there. Um, and, and that's definitely the case with this, this decision. Um, the podcast really fed into this, you know, you can't write for four seasons about following your passion and your dreams (laughs) without that making an impact. Um, And uh, last May, there was an article in the Paris review um, and it was called um, F the bread, the bread is over. There's a lot of layers to that article, but the the point that really kind of went home to me was that we have these somewhat arbitrary tasks that we look at or, or things that we sort of, um, designate as the signs of success, Hmm. but what really is important to us. And I think that a lot of people were thinking about that during the pandemic. And that definitely was something on, on my mind.
1: Yeah. Clearly we've heard that a lot uh, on the people we spoke to. So tell me a little more about your background as a writer.
0: Oh, gosh. Um, So I come from a family of storytellers. And I, I guess I just always loved words, even as a little kid. Um, My grandmother taught me how to read when I was pretty little. um, And she did it in self defense, because I just made her crazy asking her to to read to me all the time. Um, And I started, you know, writing my own books when I was a little kid. I mean, they were mostly pictures, but I just have always... I have always thought of myself as a writer, I guess. And I um, did a lot of painting and drawing. And so there was a time where I was trying to decide which way to go. My husband, who's a scientist, really laughs at this because I decided to, when I went to college, major in English because I thought that was the more practical of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's just been my identity my whole life, really.
1: And you have an MFA. What, what led to that?
0: It's an MA. Um, actually that was another thing where it it just sort of was somewhat serendipitous. When my kids were little, when I was first divorced, I was underemployed for a long time and, um, was really had a hard time finding a job. And, um, so when I, so at some point during that process, I decided that I needed to, make myself more marketable and that maybe having a graduate degree would help. And in order to get a graduate degree, I decided, well, I needed to look for a job at a college so that I could get money to, to get my master's degree. Um,
1: Very practical of you.
0: Yeah. So it was, it came out of a very practical decision. Um, And so then when I started looking at colleges and programs and then, you know, what matched up, I ended up at Hopkins And then um, I did their master's of arts in writing, specifically the creative nonfiction. So, you know, that was this very practical, somewhat serendipitous thing that led me to that program. And then it was really a defining moment in my life because I think, you know, even though I'd always had this component of, you know, storytelling and wanting to be a writer, I don't think it was until I was in that program that I really was like. I felt comfortable calling myself a writer, you know, out loud to other people. And it just gave me a lot of confidence in my own writing as well. You know, when I realized I could turn something in and, you know, maybe it wasn't perfect, but, you know, nobody said that it sucked. So <laughs> that was always, the, uh, There's, it's amazing what that can, can do for your confidence.
1: One of your other passion projects is uh, gardening mm-hmm. and my Teabag has a little quote on it, and I'm going to read it to you now. (laughs) Talking to plants is one way of talking directly to spirit.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I like that.
1: Does that resonate with you? It
0: does. So, um, you know, when I set about doing my own core values, one of them I could never quite come up with a a term that I liked for it. Um, And I just sort of refer to it as tree huggery. (laughs) But that's because it's... it's, um, it is, yes, that I like being in nature and I love gardening, but it's, there's also a spiritual component to it that it just, I guess it's like meditating for some people or, you know, it just is sort of what brings me peace. And yeah, I guess it's it's just soul food to me. It's not just, I'm not just growing vegetables. I'm also, you know, feeding my soul.
1: Well, and writing must be too.
0: Yeah. Oh, it is. Yes.
1: Well, this is not the first time you've redefined yourself. You've kind of alluded to a little bit in different ways. So, how would you say you've redefined yourself in the past, or you know, whether one one particular time or multiple times?
0: Well, I, I'm of a belief that I think we're always redefining. So, I mean, I think that I've hmm. redefined myself many, many, many times. You know, I think you know, 30 years ago, I redefined myself when my my mom died, um, and I was still very young. You know, you redefine yourself when you get married and redefine myself becoming a mom and when I got divorced. (laughs) And then when I decided to get my master's degree, you know, that was a redefining moment. What We just talked about, I think, Mm -hmm. aside from the master's degree, probably the most premeditated redefine I I did was um, when I approached the age that my mom was when she died. Mm. I kind of had this sort of I don't know what to call it. It was more than a moment, but it was I really struggled. I realized I had all this anxiety, and I um started doing all these tasks that I realized what later was part of preparing to go. I kind of had this mm-hmm. idea in my head, you know not consciously but subconsciously that that I thought that life ended at forty three you know cause she was forty three mm-hmm. and I had trouble planning or imagining past that, and it was a hard time but it was also really weird like realizing that that was what was was up and so um well i went to therapy that was one way to to get past that and and then um when i did and i started planning things it was it was really kind of amazing it was like the whole world opened up
1: yeah i can relate i, I remember my sisters saying that when they reached the age they're older than i am when they reached the age that my mother was when she first got ill it it kind of struck them um, in kind of a hard way. And I see that with uh, how I look at my father too, and my being a parent and then what he was dealing with. And it, it just kind of hits you at a certain point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's re- weird now. Cause my, my kids are approaching that the age I was, and they're, they're already older than my siblings were. So that's also a whole nother, mm-hmm. a whole nother thing to see, you know, to see what that would be like through their eyes, you know, just, it's just a different aspect of that.
1: Well, and you mentioned that your oldest has some special needs. Uh, he's in college. So tell me a little more about that, what that experience has been like.
0: Um, he's struggled a little bit. I think that it, for a couple of reasons. One, I think that he, um, trying to do this transition, which would be a big, huge transition, uh, regardless, but in the middle of a pandemic has been hard. Um, he definitely has some special needs, but he doesn't have like as many as some people, but yet he needs more help than, you know, your average eighteen year old. So he kind of falls into this no man's land a little bit, you know, where there are, you know, he gets accommodations in his classes, but it's a lot different than high school. You know, in high school they really I think kind of held his hand along the way. And that's not quite, you know, that's not the way it is in college, really. Um and so that's been it's been interesting and difficult to kind of help him navigate that. Cause you know, we talked about helicopter parents at one point during the season mm-hmm. and it's sort of like balancing that when you have a kid who, who has more, who needs you more, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. how much do I help and how much do I need to sort of push him to do his own? You know, cause there's, there's sort of a fine line of, of sort of overwhelming him or, um, it's, this is also happening at a time where he's becoming very much aware of his differences. I think in the past he was a little bit more oblivious to that. Um, mm-hmm. he is, well, you've met him. He's, he's like the happiest go lucky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's super, super chill and happy all the time. And so that's been, that's been hard too, as a parent to see that, you know, he gets upset with himself and he knows that he's different. And, um, and has become to be, uh, concerned about that. And yeah, there's just a lot of tricky things to figure out how to navigate.
1: Finding that balance must've been something you've had to do all his life. So when did you first become aware of his needs and how, how did you become aware? How was it described to you and, and what was the realization for you?
0: Oh, let's see. So, um, so he has, I should say he has autism. Um, and when he was 18 months old, he wasn't, he wasn't really speaking. Um, and like a lot of kids who are on the spectrum, he, um, he made a lot of his early milestones in the, in, you know, the range that they say that kids are supposed to make their milestones, um, usually towards the end of the range, but still within that range until we got to, you know, about that age, um, And at 18 months, he really was not talking. He had maybe a handful of work. I don't even know if that was a handful, just a couple. And, you know, so then we started going through the process of having him tested. Um, Our County has, has an amazing program for, um, for the little guys, the infants and toddlers program, just wonderful, wonderful people uh, working in that program. And they um, test them and they, um, think he actually must also met with a a developmental pediatrician Mm -hmm. and um you know they came back that it was autism and at the time i knew nothing about autism Mm -hmm. nothing at all other than Mm -hmm. what you see on rain man and and you know the movies which don't are certainly not an accurate representation of what that's like or Mm -hmm. or show you the broad spectrum of how um people are on this on the spectrum you know they're they're just they're just as different as the rest of us are as far as from one another and um so there was a lot of research you know I've always been a big you know knowledge is power so Mm -hmm. just sort of crash course of as much as I could learn and you know and even that's tricky to navigate because you have you know the super medical stuff and then you have other things where you kind of maybe it's more accessible but it's you know is it as accurate you know you know who is writing this right. i understand this better but is this is this really valid a valid source yeah that was a big process i should also say uh, during the time too i was also very pregnant when we got this diagnosis so that i'm sure that that did not help <laughs>
1: How did it change your perspective or expectations as a parent?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, in the beginning, you know, there's so many worries when you learn that your child is going to be be different. You know, how are people going to treat him? Is he going to have the same, you know, sort of experiences that other children do and all these things? Um, And I think... As time goes on, and this really resonated with me with um, our very first episode, when Robin was talking about, you know, being a mom, and um, it really resonated with me that you just sort of put one foot in front of the other, and you do what needs to be done that day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and after a while, you know, we started coming up with strategies and different things, you know, gave a when he was really little, he would get overwhelmed. Like when we, I have a huge family. So we'd have these family functions and, you know, you take an autistic child into the middle of all these loud people and, you know, he would have a meltdown, which, you know, I can't blame him. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I do.
1: (laughs) You were doing that on the inside.
0: (laughs) So, you know, so we, you know, you start to come up with strategies. Okay. we'll, We'll come in most of our family functions in those days were at my grandparents. So we'll come in the side door we'll go to the back room and we'll sort of ease into it. And then, you know, after a while, he'd be running around in the middle of things, but, um, but you know, you just start doing these little strategies like that. And then after a while you do them without even realizing that you're doing them. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that is, is still the case today. You know, we don't have to go to the side door anywhere. I mean, our joke is that, um, my son Matthew and I are are both super super introverted and um, and very shy, and Gabe is not. So, our mm. our sort of family joke is that Gabe has all the social skills. But um, <laughs> so you know, we don't have to do those things now. But there was a long time that we we did, and after a while, you just it's just sort of becomes part of your life. You don't you don't know that it's it's any different.
1: Well, when I think about how you just handle everything. You often say, Oh, bother (laughs) from Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I just think that that exemplifies how you handle everything with such grace.
0: Oh, I don't feel like it's graceful on the inside. I I promise you.
1: Well, it certainly looks that way from the outside. When you look back, I'm kind of shifting now as we just sort of think about this time that we're in. Cause I've asked a lot of people about their takeaways and such. And so I'm curious when you look back many years from now, you know, maybe it's um, grandma, grandma, you were alive then. What was it like? <laughs> um, how do you want to remember this time?
0: I'm hopeful that this time, which, you know, has been dark for so many people. I, I'm so aware of how incredibly lucky I've been. And my family has been uh, during this time. And I hope that maybe this is the sort of the dark time that comes before the new beginnings, Hmm. you know, before, uh, before new and good things can start again. And Mm -hmm. I, I definitely, I definitely think that's how it's going to be for myself. And I'm hopeful that maybe it'll be that way in a broader sense as well.
1: Yeah. Speaking of yourself, when I first learned of this, when you shared this with me and I said, I was sad and and but excited for you i was also jealous (laughs) (laughs) because you know writing's near and dear to my heart too so i was like oh oh, that sounds great how about when you think about and look back on your experiences at at aecc how do you want to remember that time
0: oh gosh i i think i don't even know that it's a matter of wanting to remember i think that the way i'll remember it is is um the people our team it's been an amazing experience. You know, there's certainly been a lot of work <laughs> that mm-hmm. we've done over the years, but it's just been a pleasure to work with our team. You know, I think I've been working for a long time and, you know, you always are in an office and maybe there's, there's one person that you get along with because it's your job to get along with, but maybe you don't like them so much, or maybe they're, mm-hmm. maybe they're hard to work with. And that, we don't have a single person that way on our team. You know, I think that everybody is wonderful and so talented. Um, but it's just been a pleasure to be surrounded by so many creative, talented people.
1: Well said. I couldn't agree with you more. What advice do you have for us for the podcast going forward?
0: Oh, let's see. I'm not sure that I have any advice that we haven't talked about as a group. Hmm. I think that we'd like to get back to s- stories,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that often, you know, we talk about uh, different kinds of guests, but the trick is trying to find people who, you know, want to partake and want to uh, have the time to to be on the the podcast.
1: It was nice that it, this time, we did get some student stories. And time is a big issue, whether it's the students or uh, faculty, staff, subject matter experts, that's always an issue. Well, I can't say thank you enough for all that you've done for the podcast, for AACC. And I'm hoping that you're not really done yet. You might help us out a little bit on the podcast going forward. I hope that's a possibility.
0: I would love that. I would love that. And thank you, Dan. Thank you for your leadership and for for just being great in general.
1: <laughs> well, I so enjoy working with you, Amy, and I, I look forward to being able to do some more in the future.
0: Me too. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. It's been a wonderful four seasons, but we're gonna take a break this summer. We will resume in the fall when AEC celebrates its 60th anniversary. So please stay tuned, listen to past episodes, write us a review. Show us some love. Thanks, and be well. Redefine you is a production of Anne Arundel Community College. Our executive producer is Allison Baumbusch. Our producer is Jeremiah Privat and our writer, Amy Carr-Willard. Others who help with this podcast include Amanda Behrens, Angie Hamlet, Ben Pierce, and Alicia Renahan. Special thanks to writer extraordinaire, Amy Willard. Find show notes, how to subscribe, and other extras on our website, aacc.edu podcast. I'm your host and creator of this podcast, Dan Baum. Thanks for listening.